welcome to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk. Here's your host, Jason Davis. Good morning, everybody. Happy Thursday. Welcome to Soccer Morning here on WorldSoccerTalk.com. Hope your morning is going well. Hope you have a cup of coffee in front of you as you listen and participate in the number one soccer program in the history of the world. I'm just going to go ahead and put that out there. We are a Champions League finalist of soccer programs. I don't think this is uh, I don't think there's any doubt about that, right? Uh, Champions League final set, by the way. Juventus taking out Real Madrid yesterday with a 1-1 draw at the Bernabeu. And now it's Barcelona. Juventus in Munich for all of the marbles or whatever they give the Champions League winner. I know that's not marbles. They don't actually hand out marbles. It'd be great if you could get like a bag of marbles with that. Uh, we've got some headlines to hit today on this show. David Amoyal, our friend to talk Italian football. I wonder what David is going to want to talk about. I wonder what we can go into with David. It's probably going to be something about Juventus. It's probably going to be something about that performance yesterday. The win in Turin. The fact that Juventus did something nobody really thought they were capable of doing. And I guess the question, and this is the analysis, anytime one of these upsets happen, how much of that was Real Madrid just not playing well enough, and how much was Juventus? You have to give Allegri credit for everything he's done at Juve. They've won the league title, and they're going to the Champions League final. That's pretty stunning. Pretty big success. Also in the headlines today, this is the top American story, I do believe. Gideon Zellalem, the Arsenal prodigy, formerly of Maryland, Ethiopian by background, German by birth, has chosen to play for the United States and now has been cleared by FIFA to do so. He has been added to Tab Ramos' U-20 World Cup roster as they get ready to play in New Zealand at the end of this month, just about two weeks from, not even two weeks from today. A little bit less than that. We'll talk, uh, we'll talk about Gideon Zellalem later on in the show when I open the phone lines, get your thoughts on what this might mean for U.S. soccer. And again, I think it's important to reiterate that I like the fact that they're putting Gideon Zellalem in the U-20s. This isn't fast-tracking him in the Julian Green mold. Now, maybe, maybe if the infatuation of Jurgen Klinsmann continues, we see him later in the summer, but for the time being, we get an opportunity to see him participate in a U-20 World Cup, go up against his peers, and perhaps Top Ramos can get something extra out of his team because they have a creative force like ZLM on the field. I don't want to load the kid up with expectations, I guess is what I'm saying. We have been burned before, and while everything I've seen of him gives me reason to believe he's going to be an excellent player, we are so quick to crown these guys as saviors that I'm trying to hold back. Trying to. People are very excited. Trying to hold back. Also in American Soccer News, Don Garber planning a visit to St. Louis next week to discuss the possibility of expanding to St. Louis. St. Louis has come up a couple of times. There was a piece by Jeffrey Carlisle over at ESPN FC that outlined the situation in St. Louis as it exists currently, and that seems to be that a certain uh, a certain group would like to build a stadium to keep the Rams in town because there is a threat of the Rams leaving St. Louis if their stadium situation is not sorted to their liking and then putting an MLS team in that building. Now, MLS has already done this with Atlanta. They've passed on the possibility of doing it in Minnesota, where do they fall on the idea of a new NFL building that is uh, that the capacity reduction system or whatever the hell they call that? Let's put some sheets above everybody's head so it looks like it's only 25,000. How do they feel about that in St. Louis? And again, St. Louis has an amazing soccer pedigree. History just coming out everywhere when it comes to soccer in St. Louis. And I would love to see it. But I think it's important to have the right situation. So we'll find out what Don Garber finds when he goes to St. Louis next week. Brad Friedel, former U.S. international, longtime Premier League goalkeeper, is retiring at the end of the season at the age of 43. No real surprise here. Friedel hasn't been playing much 
for Spurs. He'll move into an ambassador role for that club, also become a Fox soccer analyst and shift his uh, life out to Los Angeles. Brad Fiedel had 450 Premier League caps. 310 consecutive Premier League appearances, which is a record. He played 82 games for the United States and at various points was an incredible goalkeeper for the USA. He, he played his last international game, I think, in 2005. He certainly announced his international retirement in 2005. That's a decade ago. How many people who are new to soccer within the last decade, and that's a lot of you just based on age, don't really know about Brad Friedel? I would guess it's a lot of people, but uh, he was up there with the greats. Put him. Uh, he just happened to be coming around. He happened to have his career coincide with Tony Miola in the beginning, Casey Keller for much of it, and at the end, Tim Howard, who passed him by. It's a career worth celebrating, absolutely, Brad Friedel, and he's got that funny accent where we all love. DC United beat Orlando 2-1 at RFK Stadium last night. Chris Rolfe with the winner. DC United continues to... I saw the word surprise used in um, somewhere today. Somebody I know who covers soccer said DC United is a surprise. I'm not sure that that's the right word. I may be surprised they've been this good, the best start in team history. But it shouldn't be a surprise that they're effective. They finished first in the East last year. And Chris Rolfe is on fire for DC United. Uh, in Spain, you remember we talked briefly about the possibility of a strike over some of the television revenue sharing after Spain's government passed a, uh, a law requiring certain division of television funds. A court has ruled against the players when it comes to that strike, and games will go on this weekend. I know some people out there, I've been uh, a little, we're, we're a little upset the possibility of missing out on La Liga matches this weekend. This is the opportunity for Barcelona to go ahead and salt away their title. But I do wonder about the, uh, the issue of not allowing the players to strike if they have a legitimate argument over the division of these funds. If I, don't, I, I don't have a full understanding of this by any stretch of the imagination, but people we've had on the show, including David Cartledge, have outlined that this is, um, this is an issue that just won't go away in Spain. The decision to redistribute funds is good for clubs just from a very basic level. But when it comes to the players, second division players who are included in the in the uh, country's players' union are not getting uh, what they believe to be their fair share, which is why this strike was planned. And while we all hope that the great games go on, I certainly don't want that to come at the expense of the freedom of the players to make a statement if they need to. We'll continue to, to monitor this story, perhaps look into it a little bit deeper with some of our guests in the very near future. Speaking of going deeper, let's talk about Juventus. Doing what no one thought they could do, could do get getting past Real Madrid in the Champions League semifinals. They'll play Barcelona. David Amoyel will join us to talk about it all. Soccer Morning, WorldSoccerTalk.com. Be right back. Talking too loud. Hi, I'm Jason Davis, and I want to invite Soccer Morning listeners to join me this Friday for FC Dallas against the New York Red Bulls. During the game, I'm going to be sharing my thoughts and opinions about the MLS action at Rabble.tv. It's a brand new television experience that gives fans the ability to talk and banter about the beautiful game. You'll get a chance to hear my opinions about the strengths and weaknesses of Dallas and the Red Bulls, as well as post questions to me via the live conversations thread. If you have an iPhone, that's great. You can use the Rabble app to hear me, or you can go directly to the website at rabble.tv. So come on, Soccer Morning listeners, mark your calendars for this Friday at 9 p.m. Eastern, and let's hang out at rabble.tv to talk Red Bulls, the hoops, and MLS. I look forward to seeing you there.
Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. Here we go, talking a little calcio with our friend David Amoyel from John Luca DiMarzio and ESPN FC and Beyond the Pitch. How are you, David? I'm doing great today. Thanks for having me. It's a it's a very nice day for Italian football. Juve did something, and again, I don't want to paint this as if it's the biggest upset in the world. It's not. Uh, Juventus is a very good soccer team, and and you know, although Real Madrid has a lot of uh, firepower, is the biggest club in the world, is the defending Champions League winners. There was, you know, there was always a belief, I imagine, that Juventus was capable of this, especially because they got this far, and yet yesterday's game maybe played out a little bit differently than I think uh, a lot of people had it. What did you see that that was most surprising for you from Juventus? Well, I, I agree with everything you said. I think, too, especially going into the return leg, you know, Juve was a goal up, but Real Madrid had the road goal. Um, you know, definitely going into the match, even though Juve won the first leg, I think almost everyone would have rather been in Real Madrid's shoes, you know, playing at home, at home, just needing one goal, which they got fairly early in the first half, you know, on a penalty kick that I think was legit. But I think Juve then played really well. I think what helped Juve is that, you know, even if Real Madrid scored a second goal, they would have just needed one to bring it to overtime. So I think they didn't get too desperate. They tried to attack and knowing that even if they gave up another one, um, they would have still been in it. So I think their coach, Allegri, really deserves a lot of credit for how he's managed all the matches in Europe um, so far. Uh, I wouldn't say, you know, until Real Madrid they had a particularly difficult road to get to the final, but, you know, you can only play the matches that you have, and it's not uncommon for teams that get to the final to get some breaks. So um, I think Juve has to be very happy. They have to be thrilled with the job of their coach. The entire club, a lot of players that came in, Last summer, there was a lot of thought that they didn't really have a great, you know, summer transfer window, but all the players really paid huge dividends in their win, so they have to be very happy overall. You know, a lot of talk, um, certainly from the Real Madrid side, about the, the, the poor performance of the team overall, certainly the poor performance of Gareth Bales getting a lot. He, he just seems to be a whipping yeah. boy. But also also Ronaldo, and, and, you know, Ronaldo, he scored the penalty. We know that. He scores in semifinals. Yeah. This is what he does. Has the record, I think, 10 goals in Champions League semifinals. And yet, I don't think that he was particularly influential. What did you see tactically that allowed Juventus to hold Ronaldo to a dull roar? Well, you know, Ronaldo does have a great track record against Juve. You know, he scored in both matches this year. I think last year as well, he scored in both. He definitely scored in at least one. Uh, I think, though, Juve's defense deserves a lot of credit. I think Chiellini hasn't had a particularly great season. You know, I like to joke around that when Suarez bit him, it's like someone in The Walking Dead just becomes a zombie. <laughs> and he kind of struggled a little bit, but he really played really well, uh, I think, against Ronaldo in general. You know, he's an old-school defender that likes to man-mark, you know, strikers, and I think he did pretty well overall here. Um, Juve, too, you know, gambled. They changed a little bit their formation. You know, last year they played with three central defenders pretty much in every match, and uh, Allegri, you know, used that formation, you know, quite a bit this uh, season as well, but he went with just two. I thought Bonucci has been really a superb player for Juve all season. And uh, Barzagli, who I would say on paper is probably Juve's best defender, was on the bench, and he came in the second half. And, uh, you know, I think that was a gamble, but Allegri, everything paid off. And I think one player that deserves a ton of credit is Evra. I think he was a very underrated acquisition. You know, he brought the Champions League pedigree that Juve so desperately lacked, and I thought he was one of the better players in both matches. So I think, you know, Ronaldo... Uh, didn't have a great semifinal, but, you know, the players on the other team get paid too, and I think Juve's defense, you know, proved that they're, you know, if they're not the best in Europe, they're certainly in that conversation. Let's let's talk big picture and what Juventus making the final does for Italian soccer. It's, uh, you know, a lot of talk about Italian soccer being um, in a down period for a little while now, yeah. certainly. Um, the, the, there's an issue on the business side with stadiums and filling them up, and and obviously Juventus yeah. is leading the way on that front. So it's it, it it makes sense that they would be not not just because they, of their pedigree and and the club they are, but it would make sense that they are the team that that is putting the flag of Italian soccer back in uh, you know top yeah. level of of Europe. What does this mean? 
Well, I think, you know, you can you can look at it from two sides. I think you can make a case that Juve is an outlier in Italy. Uh, you know, they are the only club that hasn't sold, you know, big-name players in quite some time. Uh, we've seen the other teams, you know, for big offers, get rid of their players. Now, granted, I think Italian clubs also do a very good job, for the most part, of replacing departing stars. So you can make a case that you as an outlier, they're the only one that have a modern team-owned stadium. Udinese is going to be the second, and they're certainly not a huge club. Um, so, and they've done very well on the transfer window. I mean, they do have, you know, they're they're not a poor club, but they're also not Manchester United, Real Madrid, or PSG on the transfer market, and they've been very smart and cautious on the transfer market. So, you know, they've dominated Serie A. They're winning the four. They've won, uh, you know, another title in a row. Um, so, you know, you can make a case that they're an outlier. But I think, too, in the Europa League, we saw the the teams doing well. Napoli, you know, has a chance, you know, to make the final. It'll be tough for Fiorentina. But they have two of them there in the semifinal I think we saw Roma and Lazio, too, uh, are better than they've been in years ago. I think where Italian soccer is really going to need to recover is the clubs from Milan, both Milan and Inter, that it would really help if they can have a resurgence. So I think, you know, anyone who says Juve is an outlier, I think they can make a great case. But I also see some signs that there might be more competition soon. But I think, you know, just having an Italian team in the final, uh, which hasn't happened, you know, since then they won it five years ago. We hadn't seen an Italian team even in the semifinal of the Champions League since then. Clearly sends um, a great message. But I'm sure, you know, the critics of Italian soccer can always point to say, well, Juve is the exception, not the rule. Sure, but there is also, you know, there also is the Europa League success on some yeah. level, not winning necessarily recently. But the the... the coefficients and in, in the, in the way that Champions League spots are handed out is a, is a good measure of where leagues are yeah. competitively in Europe, and that seems to be on the rise in, for Italy. Yeah, I think, you know, they are the best right now this season. Uh, I'm not a huge expert in the coefficient, but Italy is getting very close to having that fourth spot back. Uh, I don't think they'd be able to do it this year unless both Juve and Napoli uh, are able to win the Cup, but they're certainly on their way back. I think, too, what's going to help uh, next season, too, they're changing how the the pots for the draws are done. Like, if you win the league, you're uh, one of the top leagues. You are in pot one, so Juve is going to be, you know, the favorite in their group going in, and that should help as well. I think, you know, Juve, you know, there's always this rap that they're not good in Europe, and I think you can make a great case for that. I mean, granted, Buffon, you know, who's, Legendary goalkeeper has never won the cup. This is only the second time he goes to the final, and that was 12 years ago, the first time. So, but you know, on the other hand, this is now the eighth time that they go to the Champions League final. So far, they've only been able to win twice. But I think now that they go in as the underdog against Barcelona with really nothing to lose might actually play to their advantage. It's a little bit like with Real Madrid, they were in the same boat. They had nothing to lose in the semifinal, not too much pressure. And so maybe they'll be able to rise to the occasion in the final. Well, let's talk. Let's let's move ahead to the final just briefly here. Obviously, it's, uh, it, it, the final is a one-off. It's on neutral soil. It's it's yeah. a completely different animal than the two-leg uh, semifinals and the, uh, yeah. the knockout rounds. Obviously, some of the talk has been about Luis Suarez going up, uh, up against both <laughs> Chiellini and Patrice Evra, who he has significant yeah. history with. Um, when you look ahead, though, and and obviously the way Barcelona is playing on the attacking end with those three superstars, it's going to be a Herculean task. Does Allegri just need to bunker in and set and shut it down, or can he actually afford to go out and try to play a little toe to toe with Barcelona? Well, you know, Allegri does have a good track record playing against Barcelona with Milan, and the Milans he had were nowhere near as good as Barcelona, and he always played them very well. So. Uh, I think he deserves a lot of credit for how he managed Juve in Europe. And I think, like you said, you made a really good point. This is just one game. It's not two legs. I think over two legs, I would say Barcelona is an overwhelming favorite uh, with the quality of their front line, you know, over two matches. In one game, you know, pretty much anything can happen. And Juve has shown that they're very dangerous on counterattacks. We saw that against Dortmund. And we saw that especially in the first leg against 
Real Madrid. So I think, you know, they definitely stand a good chance. You know, granted, that front line of Barcelona, you know, I've been watching soccer for close to 30 years. Like, I have a very hard time thinking of a trio as good as them. I can think of duos that I would say are as good, but not three like that. But uh, I think if there's any defense in Europe that can slow them down a little bit is Juve. And I think the track record that Allegri has shown against Barcelona. Uh, his teams are just very organized and compact. I think, you know, they won't totally park the bus, but they'll definitely try to take advantage of some counterattacks. Uh, so how crucial is, you know, the performances of players like, obviously, the, the stars of Juve, the, pe- the, the players that people know outside of Italy, uh, Pirlo, uh, uh, Pogba, and I want to come back to Pogba, Pogba's uh, performance sure. yesterday, but how crucial are those players, obviously, Carlos Tevez at the front end of the formation, in trying to hit Barcelona on the counter? Uh, crucial. I think, to me, the the best sign for Juve is how well Vidal played these two matches against Real Madrid. Right. Like, this yeah. has been a tough season for him overall. You know, it was because of the knee injury. It's because he played in the World Cup. And, you know, all the speculation that was in the summer over his future. Um, so I think, you know, he had a difficult season, but to me, he completely redeemed it. I thought he was the best player probably in both matches against Real Madrid. So I think, um, you can make a great case that Juve and Barcelona, you know, have amongst the best midfields too, uh, in Europe. You know, we've talked a lot about the attack on Barca and the defense on Juve, but these are really elite midfields. And I think too, Marquisio has been superb for Juve this yeah. season. I think with Bonucci and Tevez probably been their best player. So I think Juve has, you know, some weapons to do well against them too. I think Pogba yesterday looked a little rusty. I was surprised that he started and even played as much as he did. He came yeah. out in the last minute. Yeah. Uh I, I thought, you know, Allegri would maybe bring him in the second half if they needed a goal. Um but he'll be healthier for the final. Uh, and Juve, you know, has already locked up the title in Italy. So I really think they're going to really be playing a lot of their bench players. So they're going to be getting ready for the Champions League. So, um, you know, granted, they're definitely the underdog. But when you look at how everything's lining up for them, I think they couldn't be happier with how things are going towards the final. It certainly looked to me like Pogba was not match fit and, and moving a little slow yeah. and definitely not on top of his game. And yet he played a crucial role in Murata's goal. Which pushes yep. Juve into the into the final. Um, I think there's it's interesting to think about this Juve team, and they're going to bring in some players, and you and I can talk about that briefly. Uh, there's there, uh, Dabala is uh, is lined up, and and you mentioned that Edison Cavani could be a target, but you have this situation where Tevez is talking about going back to Argentina. Paul Pogba yep. is a target of the biggest, richest clubs in the world and may leave. Okay. Uh, Andrea Pirlo, some, you know, I don't know if this is mindless or if he's actually fed into it. Some thought that if he, if they win, he could go out on top as a Juve, as an yep. Italian uh, Serie A player. And, you know, th- there are certain, obviously, um, you know, Buffon at the back. Who knows how much longer he's got? I don't know if he's established his retirement date or not. Well, all great, great points. Uh, let's take one at a time. Uh, Pirlo, you know, was asked if he wins the Champions League. This is before they eliminated Real Madrid. If he were to win the final, would he consider coming to MLS, you know, right away? And he said, yeah, it's certainly a possibility. He didn't say definitely yes, but he said, you know, there really wouldn't be a better way for me to go on top at Juve. He's won a title in Italy every season he was there. And, you know, he'd win his third Champions League. He's won two with Milan. Um, you know, with Juve. So I could see that. Uh, I think Buffon, you know, he really wants to play in the next World Cup. He'd be, I think, 40 or 41. I think that would give him the records for participating in the most World Cups. So I don't think he's going anywhere. And he's been really, really good the past two years. He had issues with his back before where he looked on the decline, but he still looks rock solid to me. Uh, Pogba, yeah, I mean, there's always the possibility he leaves, but you got to wonder with Juve doing so well in the Champions League. And uh, a big factor, too, is the Euro is going to be in France next year, and he might just want to prepare for that at a club where he's comfortable. But look, you know, I'd be very naive to tell you that he's definitely staying. There's always a chance he wants to triple his salary and leave. So um, it'll be interesting to see. And I think, too, what's really neat is Buffon and Pirlo are going to be playing the Champions League final in Berlin where they won the World Cup. Mm. Uh, so it would be kind of poetic for Pirlo to kind of end it there. Um, uh, yesterday, Buffon had a great tweet. You know, after he won the World Cup in 2006, 
Juve was relegated because of the uh, referee scandal, and he went to the second division, and he said, you know, that's the beauty of life. You know, I, I won in Berlin, and I went to the second division, and now I'm going back to Berlin. So, uh, and that's really like the beauty of life in his career. So it's going to be an iconic match. I think Tevez, too, it'll be interesting to see. So even Graham Wall was talking maybe about MLS for him. I haven't heard that. Everything that I hear points to maybe Boca Juniors. But mm. he's been so good that I just don't see him uh, maybe wanting to go and earn considerably less in Argentina. But maybe he also says, you know, I win the Champions League. What else can I do? I'm just going to go home and play. But I think, you know, Juve uh, fans would hate to see Tevez and Tiago leave. But if it happens, you know, after a Champions League win, that would certainly soften the blow. Uh, the uh, the reinforcements that Juve can bring in. I mean, again, whether or not all of those players leave. I mean, you said you certainly outlined some will stay, some will probably go. We don't know, but uh, you know, after this Champions League final, it'll be a question of whether or not Juventus can stay on this level and they can yeah. re reinforce this team enough to make another run at it next year. Um, uh, Dybala is definitely coming in, as far as you know. And then, what else is on the docket for Juve this summer? Well, Juve, you know, has the Bala in their hands, really their player to lose. Um, you know, they wanted to wait after the match yesterday. It wasn't even really to see if they won or not, but just because they really wanted to focus on Madrid. So today, they're meeting with both Palermo and his agent is in Turin, you know, the city where Juve's from, to finalize the deal. It's going to be fairly expensive, especially for Juve standards, but they also have, you know, so much revenue they got for the Champions League. So I wouldn't say that automatically means that they know a big name is leaving. And I think the ball is exactly the profile of a player Juve needs. He's only 21. He'll be 22 in November of this year. He's been sensational in Serie A playing for a newly promoted team. Uh, he has a great pedigree. You know, a lot of people say, oh, he had just one good season, but he was also a very highly rated prospect in Argentina. Um, ideally, you know, Tevez stays with him one season and teaches him, uh, you know, how to be a champion at Juve. And, you know, they have a front line with Dybala, Tevez, Morata, that was really, really impressive. And the other player they're looking at is PSG's Cavani. Uh, I personally think that's the move they would look at if Tevez goes back to Argentina and probably if Pogba leaves, just because that would be such an expensive both transfer fee and wage for Juve. But, you know, smart clubs uh, make moves like this. They try to hedge the, you know, prepare for all possibilities. So um, I think Juve setting themselves up well. In years past, they struggled with strikers and getting Dybala, who's so young and so productive in Serie A now, would be a great move. Uh, let's uh, let's talk about Morata, who scored the goal that put uh, Juve in the Champions League final uh, yesterday. He is uh, he he's, he's previously played for Real Madrid. We obviously saw him not celebrate. That's a thing I think is ridiculous. But uh, yeah, uh, what's uh, what's the situation? Because uh, it, the indication is that that Real Madrid, Real Madrid could have him back if they wanted. Maybe that's the reason not to celebrate. Yeah, that too. I, I think you know what's fascinating. Somebody tweeted yesterday. I forget his name. You look at Real Madrid's front line. It cost them like close to $200 million to get those players, and they were eliminated from one of their youth team players that would have cost them nothing to keep. Um, So, you know, they sold them to Juve, but there's a buyback clauses, not this summer, next summer. Now, uh, with a buyback clause, the player also has to agree to go, and, you know, Morata's saying he wants to stay at Juve, but, you know, what else would he say while he plays for the team? You know, so... It's a fascinating situation. I was actually reading that when they negotiated um, the deal with Juve last summer, they wanted to insert a clause so Juve wouldn't be able to use him in a match against Real Madrid. Uh, But that's a rule that you can't do in Europe. I think in some leagues you can. So it it tells you a lot about Real Madrid that they were thinking of trying to do that and really came back to haunt them, at least in the short term, uh, that deal. So I think he's been a sensational player. I think, you know, although a lot of people say, oh, look, Conte left and Juve does great in Europe, I think he deserves a lot of credit for this. Uh, For one thing, he rebuilt the team. I think some players, some coaches take a team from A to B and some from B to C, and Allegri took them to the next level. But it was Conte who wanted Morata at Juve. And it was Conte who talked Evra into joining Juve as well. He was a little bit on the fence, and before Conte quit as coach, he personally called him to talk him into coming to Juve. So 
Uh, I know a lot of people, um, you know, like to make fun of Conte, look at what you left, but um, he deserves credit for that. And it was interesting that after Juve was eliminated against Galatasaray last year, he said, oh, I don't think an Italian club will be in the final of the Champions League for, for years, and then this happened afterwards. Yeah. But um, they wouldn't be here without him in my opinion I, as well. I do find it fascinating. This seems to be, there seems to be a some sort of seesaw effect here that the, the more Juve accomplishes under Allegri, the, the lower Conte's reputation seems to sink be, because he didn't do this same thing. I'm not sure I quite understand what that's all about. Obviously, you know, he's got a new job and new tasks and, and Italy's going through a new, uh, a new era in terms of the national team. But this, that seems odd to me, David. Well, yeah, I think, you know, it's too, it's his personality uh, and the fact that he left, you know, in July, you know, from what I understand, you know, he wanted to leave at the end of the season, but Juve told him, you know, take a break, figure out if you just need a vacation. And in the meantime, they were selling season tickets, uh, selling fans that he'd be back, but uh, that's maybe being a little bit uh, too cynical. But, you know, I think it's more the fact that the way he left and the fact that in Europe, he, to me, he always gave the team an excuse to lose by saying, oh, we can't compete with big revenue teams. And you look at Allegri, took the opposite approach. You know, when they were in a group with Atletico Madrid, you know, Conte would have probably said, oh, we need to finish second and just get out of the group. While Allegri kept talking, we need to win this group. So uh, I think he changed the attitude. Um, I don't think any less of Conte based on what Allegri is doing. I just think, like I said, some coaches are great at rebuilding you, taking you from A to B, and then you need a coach that can bring you another dimension, and that's what Allegri did. So, um, to me, Contest is all over uh, UAD in the final as well. Uh, look, it's uh, it's great that you it's great for Italian football that Juventus has gone this far and made the Champions League final. We'll see what happens in Berlin against Barcelona. But, David, the again, I come back around to some of the issues that Italian football has faced recently yeah. um, when it comes to competing on a level terms with uh, the other top leagues in, in Europe. And for all the success they're having on the field, that's leading to a, a, a better coefficient. And if Napoli can win the Europa League and Juve wins the Champions League, maybe they'll get a spot back, et cetera, et cetera. That, that's only like a, that's only a short term solution or only a mm -hmm. salve to the wounds that have affected Italian football. And, and I think it's, I want to bring it to sort of the international profile of the league because, you know, it's, yep. obviously in, a, in the U.S., I can see d directly what the Premier League is doing with this market. The Bundesliga yep. is entering. Uh, this market in a big way right now has Fox lined up to broadcast their games in 2015, 2016. What is Italy doing on that front to try to open up new areas to say, okay, we're, we can't just focus on domestic elements anymore. Yeah, sure. we need to build stadiums, but we need to go out there and get other people around the world excited about Italian football. I totally agree. I mean, you look at the, and I think, you know, BN sports deserves a lot of credit. I think their coverage has been a lot better. This season, they've shown more games, but you look at what NBC is doing with the Premier League, it's it's truly uh, remarkable. I think, you know, what's encouraging in Italy is we're seeing more and more foreign investors want to buy the clubs. Um, you know, Italy really has a great uh, soccer, football, and culture that usually spans so many generations that but they just don't have strong business sense. You know, clubs need uh, people that really know how to manage marketing. We start enter trying to improve in those ways. You know, hopefully Milan will be sold to some foreign investors that also understand marketing because they have such a great brand. And I think that would really elevate soccer. So where I um, have some hope is that some more foreign investors uh, that really understand marketing. Um, I think you've seen with Roma, Palotta is trying to bring more exposure here in the U.S. for Roma. So I think those are encouraging signs. And I think, you know, if other foreign investors see uh, you win the Champions League final, they might be more interested uh, in buying Italian teams. That's, that's the biggest hope I have. To, directly to that point, what is the situation at Milan right now? Because uh, there's been speculation that a takeover was coming, that, uh, you know, obviously, yeah, yeah. With, with what's the situation there? It's very murky. Like, I was very, um, there was this Thai investor, Mr. B, as he was called. Uh, I was very skeptical from the get-go. I read an article in Forbes magazine saying that he just didn't have the revenue to do it, and he had all these random groups supposedly sponsoring him. But then you, you'd ask yourself, why would these random groups who could 
afford Milan on their own, even band together. So I was very skeptical from the get-go. To me, it seemed like a publicity stunt for him, and Milan was using him as a distraction strategy uh, from what's been a really awful season for them. Uh, now there's a lot of talk of Chinese investors, even all the way up into the Chinese government, who has a, a former prime minister that has a relationship with Berlusconi. So I, I think that would be a much more serious and interesting um, takeover. We actually saw uh, Lippi, you know, who coached the Italian national team, go coach in China. Um, there's a lot of Chinese investment in general in Italy, so um, I'm hoping that's going to be the outcome. On the other hand, you know, Berlusconi has a history of using Milan for political reasons, and maybe this is all a, a, a big uh, stunt for political reasons, and right before the election, he'll say, I'll keep Milan Italian. I'll make Milan great again. So it's just a very murky um, situation. Hopefully there'll be more updates, um, and hopefully he'll sell the majority to this Chinese group. So you believe that it's time for, for Berlusconi to step away from Milan? I I think so. I think, you know, he, in his mind, ideally, he gets a minority investor that's just going to give him money to pay off the debts and buy players. But I have a hard time seeing someone Doing that, giving a lot of money to not have much power, and for Berlusconi to still be the star, uh, the one that everyone thanks for the team being good. So, you know, he's been a great president. I remember when he took over and all the championships they've won, but he just doesn't have um, the desire. I mean, he has the money, but the recent divorce he had, he doesn't. His daughter, Marina, controls his money more than he does, and she's mm. just not as interested in Milan as he is. So I think all things considered, the best outcome is if he sells the majority to someone that's like serious about making Milan great again. It would be lovely to see Milan become a great uh, side again, certainly Inter making their attempt to get back on top. It's David Emoyal. Find his work at Gianluca DiMarzio and uh, various other places, ESPN FC, and he's a contributor to Beyond the Pitch as well. David, it's always fun to talk Italian soccer with you. I very much appreciate your time. Well, thank you so much, Jason. It's nice to talk after a big win yesterday for Juve, and I thank you always for having me on and for talking about Italian football. There you go. Let's uh, take a break. When we come back, we'll open up the phone lines, talk to you, whether it's about Italian football, Juventus, Gideon Zellalem, Brad Friedel, 646-832-3909. Be right back. Hi, I'm Jason Davis, and I want to invite Soccer Morning listeners to join me this Friday for FC Dallas against the New York Red Bulls. During the game, I'm going to be sharing my thoughts and opinions about the MLS action at Rabble.tv. It's a brand new television experience that gives fans the ability to talk and banter about the beautiful game. You'll get a chance to hear my opinions about the strengths and weaknesses of Dallas and the Red Bulls, as well as post questions to me via the live conversations thread. You have an iPhone? That's great. You can use the Rabble app to hear me, or you can go directly to the website at rabble.tv. So come on, Soccer Morning listeners, mark your calendars for this Friday at 9 p.m. Eastern, and let's hang out at rabble.tv to talk Red Bulls, the Hoops, and MLS. I look forward to seeing you there. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. Here we are back on Soccer Morning on a Thursday. Thursday is one day closer to the weekend. Champion, uh, sorry, Europa League today. Champions League yesterday. Europa League today. No MLS today. MLS last night. MLS tomorrow. I'll be doing Rabble.tv stuff tomorrow for Dallas and the Red Bulls. So looking forward to that. Today's my kid's birthday. He's seven today. Seven-year-old kid trying to work the soccer stuff. The so He's just too into video games and cartoons and drawing. He's an artistic type of child. I don't know if athletics are going to be his thing. It's a little disappointing for me. Just a little bit. Not a lot. Just a little. He can be who he wants to be. One of those parents. Am I going to push him? It's just a thing. 
Call me on my kid's birthday. <laughs> Call me and talk about soccer. Uh, we certainly have a lot to talk about this morning. There is the Champions League final being set. Juventus, Barcelona, Berlin. I may have said Munich earlier. I meant Berlin. We also have uh, Getty and Zelalem being cleared to play for the United States of America. He will do so at the U-20 World Cup in New Zealand, coming up in just a couple of weeks' time. Very excited to see that. Now, those games do happen in the middle of the night, so either you make the commitment to not sleep or you DVR the games and try to watch them later on without finding out the results. Maybe that's really hard. So hard. Good question here from Brian on Twitter. What would be a bigger deal for U.S. soccer right now, a coach or a player in the Champions League knockout rounds? Now, we've had players go into the Champions League knockout rounds. We did have DeMarcus Beasley, while he was at PSV, go into the Champions League, do some stuff. These days, It's been a while, though. And these days, I, you know, I don't know. I think... I think there still exists a much thicker glass ceiling for American coaches than American players. I think that's pretty obvious. So I want to say coach, but I don't think that's the case. Players get most of the pub. Players get players get the headlines. Let's go to Mark. Mr. Fishkin is on the line. You want to talk about the U.S. Open Cup? I haven't I haven't gone over the results, Mark. Should I read every single one? Uh, that might take more time than you have, knowing just how many teams are in this tournament. But uh, I would like to mention, first of all, when you say on Twitter, call me, I'm listening. I mean, uh, it's it's a very, very intriguing proposition. <laughs> Secondly, um, the Open Cup third round is to be held today, apparently, at Soccer House. And uh, Jeff Crandall, as well as uh, the folks at uh, US Open Cup, .com I know will be covering, but you know one more step in taking this tournament to the next level is doing some sort of live yeah. internet stream of this event, yeah. even though video of watching people flip coins is probably not going to make for a scintillating video view. But nevertheless, I, I think the tournament, um, if we all want the tournament to grow up, and I think we all kind of do, um, it's a great. Uh, it would be a great next step to gain a little bit more exposure. Now, the third round is who enters in the third round? So the third round is when the NASL teams join, and because of the unwieldy nature of the entire uh, draw, with so many teams taking part, there'll be the the nine American NASL teams will join. And then most of the matchups, or I guess about half the matchups, will be between second-round winners. So it's kind of a disjointed sort of draw. And then, you know, and then the next round is uh, is when MLS joins. So, you know, for fans in those MLS cities, they they definitely, you know, it's, it's a day to be excited about, I guess. Yeah. Um, we know the NASL teams are putting this tournament at the absolute top of their list in terms of gaining uh, acceptance around American soccer as not just a Division II league. So uh, it's an exciting first step towards that inevitable confrontation. You know, they, they certainly, U.S. soccer could put up a web stream of this and, and should. I mean, let's just be honest about that. But if that's not something they're ready to do right now, and maybe I throw this out to Mr. Crandall, who may or may not be listening at the moment, they could periscope it. That's a thing now, right? You could put it on periscope and there and and people could just yeah. watch a live feed from Jeff Crandall's phone. And that I think that would be a step in the right direction. Yeah, again, not exactly uh the Champions League draw no, or a big no. UEFA draw or a FIFA draw. I mean, I I honestly think it's let's uh, look at the clipboard. Okay, who's next? Let's flip a coin, you know, it, but but still um, you're trying to generate some interest and excitement around this tournament. It's huge. I have 90 plus teams in this tournament. And, um, you know, for a team like Harpo's, which I think, and I don't know if you've covered this yet, I mean, this is an actual pub team that has yes. now won two matches to play a USL club. They're two wins away from playing an MLS club. And, I mean, you want to get national sporting attention. How about a bunch of guys from the pub? Uh, playing their way to play in an MLS stadium. I mean, that would be a phenomenal story, and that's Absolutely. what cups are all about. Yeah, Harpo's beat uh, Harpo's beat BYU on penalties after a goalless draw in uh, in regular time. So that's uh, 
that's a good story. Uh, Cal FC, yeah. Cal FC lost, so they're out, but they're not, they're not necessarily our darlings anymore. Mark Fishkin from Seeing Red. Make sure you check that out on backheel.com. Mark, anything else you'd like to share? No, I'm, I'm making my first trip to, uh, Texas tomorrow to see, uh, to Frisco to, to Toyota Park. So I'm very much looking forward to that. So if you're listening and you're in Dallas, uh, come find me and say hi. There you go. Appreciate the call, Mark. Thanks a lot. Thanks. Yeah. Yep. Mark Fishkin, good stuff from him. Yeah, U.S. Open Cup. I mean, I'm looking at the results right now. Let's see here. Uh, RWB Adria lost to Lansing United 4-2 on penalties. The Brooklyn Italians lost to the lost uh, to the Long Island Rough Riders 3-1. Uh, Michigan Bucks took down Detroit City FC 3-0. Uh, so sort of a beat down there. Uh, Jersey Express took out New York Greek American SC 3 0. Uh, Kitsap Pumas, uh, beat FC Tacoma 5 2. Chula Vista, after extra time, takes out FC Tucson 2 1. Uh, I'm just going through these here. Maryland Bays lost to Reading United 1 0. Uh, West Virginia Chaos, love that name, 1 0 over Fort Pitt Regiment. Um, the Southwest Florida Adrenaline fell to Miami United 2-1. to one. Uh, Ocala Stampede loses on penalty kicks to Chattanooga FC. So you've got some, uh, got some interesting results in here. I have no idea about the quality of these teams, relatively speaking. We all know Harpo seems to be the, uh, the biggest underdog of the bunch. But for, uh, before, uh, next coming, coming up next is the, the third round draw. And, uh, yeah. Mr. Crannell, please, uh, please periscope said draw. 646-832-3909. Not one person is so excited about Gideon's LLM that they have to call the show and express that joy. I'm a little surprised by this. Isn't this something we've been watching and tracking for like months now? Whether or not Gideon's LLM would actually turn out and be a United States international? Stephen Goff of the Washington Post has been all over this with his local sources, because Zellalem played so much of his youth in, in Maryland. I'm just, I'm just surprised we're not going giddy today. We're all keeping it in perspective? No. American soccer fans don't do that. American soccer fans do not know how to keep it in check. We just don't. We get, ex- we get too excited. We overhype players. We look for the savior of Americans. We, we imagine... And I think there's something interesting. And I wrote a piece for ESPN FC about ZLM maybe two years ago at this point, almost two years ago, when he was really just a baby phenom who we didn't know if, if he would ever not, not, only, not only play for the U.S., but sort of amount to anything as a professional. He still had a long way to go, still does. But I wrote something about the pull of ZLM being the position he plays and the skill set he has. That he is a step beyond what we usually see. That he is a mythical 10 in a, for a country that doesn't produce 10s. We just don't produce 10s. We have good we have, we have good attacking players, creative players. Benny Failhaber and McDisgrude on his best days. And there's some kids in the system, including, including Christian Pulisic, who people will tell you is really good. But I think this is different, and yet people aren't excited about it. Joseph doesn't want to talk about it either. He wants to talk about D.C. What, what do you want to talk about? East and West Conference in, uh, in MLS. Yeah, I mean, I am excited about Gideon Zell. Right, Don't get me wrong. Go but, um, I need a noisemaker today. Eight, eight, games. <laughs> <laughs> eight games or so into the MLS season, um, I know there's always a constant talk that the Western Conference in MLS is the absolute better conference. Um, is that... Does it still look like that eight games into the season, or is the East holding up their end? Is the East, you know, giving the West a, a run for their money? Well, I have to look at the head-to-head record so far. I haven't. I don't have those in front of me. But let's. I mean, let's just consider. Mm-hmm. Let's just consider the fact that right now the Chicago Fire, who I don't think are a good team, they have improved a little bit over the course of the year, but I don't think they're a good team. Are in sixth place in the East. Toronto FC, who has struggled and lost to Houston at, on the, in their home opener, is in fifth place. Meanwhile, out west. Vancouver, FC Dallas, Seattle, San Jose, okay, surprise there, Sporting Kansas City, uh-huh. L.A., Real Salt Lake, who has the talent, even though they've, they've struggled, I think will round into form, Portland, who just got Diego Valeri back, those teams are in 7th yeah. and 8th. 
I think I think the West is better. I'm not going to say it's a lot better. I'm just going to say it's better. Okay. I, I think that New York City, Philadelphia, Montreal, and Orlando are all pretty bad soccer teams right now. And that's four, that's that's that's, that's it. those are the four teams that are likely to miss the playoffs right now. I mean, if you if you extrapolate over the course of the season, things may change. But those are the four teams that are probably going to miss the playoffs. And like I said, that gets Chicago in, and Chicago was bad to start the year. They were really bad. So uh, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, you can have, you can make an argument, I guess, because the top teams in the East are pretty good. But it gets real thin. Yeah. It gets real thin the farther down the standings you go. Yeah. No, it's. It's a good take on it. Um, the East just doesn't have the depth. But uh, watching, you know, Columbus play Seattle this weekend was kind of an eye opener. Yeah, that oh maybe yeah. The yeah. East does have a lot of quality. They do, and I think that game was interesting for a lot of reasons. I don't think the Sounders played uh, up to their usual standard in a lot of spots, and clearly Columbus has a good team, uh, certainly a good attacking team. And I think Seattle's weakness is their is their defending right now. So you know, those things yeah. came together. But yeah, you you could certainly say I, I, again. I think the top four or five teams, well, four teams at least in the East, can go toe to toe with anybody out west. It's just that once you get down mm-hmm. farther down the standings, things kind of things kind of change uh, directions a little bit. I uh, got anything else, man? Yeah. No, I appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Yeah, I appreciate the phone call. Let's uh, let's talk to to Eddie. What's up, Eddie? You want to talk a league a little bit of Liga MX playoffs? Yeah, I mean, before before I get started on that, yesterday was just an absolutely horrible day. And one day, I saw Real Madrid, Saprissa, and the oh, Brooklyn Italians all get eliminated. I forgot. I forgot about Real Madrid for you. I forgot that was in your. Uh, uh, that was one of your teams. Yeah, that was not a good day. Yeah, but luckily, um, I got I got to get over that real quick because uh, I was I had to analyze the the Pachuca America match. I don't know if you caught that. No, I need to go um, back. I need to go back and watch the highlights. Apparently, that was just uh, an insane match, and now Club America's got a hole to dig out of. I wouldn't say. I mean, three two three two on the road isn't isn't the worst thing for America. I mean, I I still believe they're going to be able to advance. Um, but this kid Eric Gutierrez, when you watch the highlights, you're going to see he had the goal. The uh the first goal for Pachuca and then he had the assist on the second goal and before he had the assist he had this little misty take on found the space and then he said that now Hoban I think Munoz could have done better on the shot but you know you were talking about the hype train for is it is it Zelalem or is it Zalalem I don't I heard both of them I don't know I heard Zalalem the other day too but I say I've always said Zelalem and I, and until somebody comes on that knows him and corrects me I, I'm just gonna go with it because. Otherwise, I sound like an idiot when I say like when I say Derby and Darby, both both of them, because I don't know which one's right. Yeah, no, but anyway, um, <laughs> so yeah, the hype about about that kid. But I'm telling you right now, this kid Eric Gutierrez and Concacaf's hot take. Not really that much of a hot take, but I think looking forward in about five years, he's going to be hands down the best player in this region, and I see him Champions League level. Like no lie, I would legit take him at Real Madrid this summer. The kid is only 19, probably the best player in Liga MX right now. And if anybody is not paying attention to Pachuca, they need to pay attention, especially if you're a U.S. men's national team, because they have a lot of young Mexican talent there. They got Irving Lozano, who's also 19. He's going to be at the U-20 World Cup. Everybody knows about Jurgen Dam. This team is stacked with young young talent, but Eric Gutierrez against America in in the playoffs was by far the best player on the pitch, and I recommend everybody go watch it. Okay, fair enough. Uh, keep an eye on Eric Gutierrez at Pachuca. Eddie, appreciate the phone call, man. No bones to pick today. Just, no, just no sadness. Bones, just, just knowledge. Just, well, knowledge, knowledge about Pachuca and Eric Gutierrez, but sadness mainly. Yeah, I mean, I'm still a little somber, but I'll get over it. All right, it's just, it's just football, Eddie. Yeah, at the end of the day. Uh, well, but it's also life. Blah 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 blah. Appreciate the phone call, man. Thanks a lot. Yeah. All right, there you go. Let's uh, let's talk to let's talk to Alfonso. He wants to talk about Gideon. Maybe I just go first name only. Is it Zalalem or is it Zelalem, Alfonso? What do you think? We'll we'll do Gideon. How about how about GZ? All right, GZ. I'm going. I'm good with GZ. That's good. Well, I, I mean, I wanted to call in and talk about how I think um, the mat- there's a little bit of a maturity from the uh, you know inside the bubble for the soccer fans of the U.S. Uh, you know, coming from a do. You know, we've heard all these hyped-up kids before, you know, and even up with Julian Green, we've seen that the kid does have some talent, but we just haven't seen any production yet. So I think we're a lot more, uh, we're excited, but we're not, 
we're not going to be over the moon over anything until the guy produces on the field. I, I hope especially so. Especially for his club, especially for his club team, right. especially for the U.S. national team. I think what what the the U.S. could be more excited about is the concept of of Gideon's LLM. These kids that are uh, have some affiliation with the United States and are choosing to come play for us. Yeah. Um, they see us as a place where they can develop. And the United States has never been a place where we lack for talent and, and athleticism. The place is really it's, it's, is identifying talent. And I think for all of Jurgen's faults, I think maybe his coaching staff and his infrastructure is helping unearth and persuade some of these kids to, to actually join up. Now, whether or not it's, it proves to be any fruition, uh, you know, who knows? It cuts both ways a little bit. I mean, I'll give I'll give Jurgen Klinsman and his staff credit for going out and doing the work of, I guess, recruiting. It sounds it seen it it seems a little a little unseemly to use that word, but let's let's just be honest. It is recruiting on some level. I'll give him credit for that. But then you have the other side of it, which is the Julian Green experience, which was pushing that kid too far, too fast within the system. And now we've all had to kind of take a step back. I mean, I don't know if he's going to be on the Gold Cup team, and I kind of hope he's not. Because then you're basically saying that you value Julian Green and his pedigree and his talent, which is undeniable, over what he's accomplished to this point as a professional. And clearly, he's had some issues. He wasn't going to play at Bayern Munich, we know that. But then to go on loan and absolutely bomb there, I mean, I, I don't know how much is his fault, how much is the coach, but it doesn't matter. You're, you're basically saying you're rewarding a, a player who hasn't accomplished anything yet. So this is why I'm okay with Gideon playing. You know, I, If he's going to be in the system, that's great play him at the youth level that's appropriate, which is the U-20s, and we get the chance to see him. I don't know that bring him along slowly is something I necessarily care about, but I do think bring him along at the pace that is correct to his trage- trajectory is, is, the, is the idea. You have to, I think when you said about recruiting Jorgen Klinsmann, you have to also imagine that the United States is one of those unique countries where we have such a multicultural background, and, we, and uh, we're such a young country in in, in uh in respect to some of these other nations, um, that a lot of it is, is identifying talent, regardless of what cultural background they come from. And because we're a unique, uh, we're a unique country, those kids might have, you know, Guatemalan parents, or they might have Ethiopian parents, or they might have German parentage. But, you know, if they have a tie to the United States and they have a, a sense of patriotism or a sense of being, uh, who want to play for the United States, then, you know, it's our responsibility to identify them. Yeah. I don't know too many nations in this world that, that are like that. Great Britain has some of that with, uh, maybe with Jamaica, but because of their, you know, soccer history, they value more the, 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 the kids that are born in, in that nation. But the United States, you know, it's all about identifying talent. And, uh, I think that's what makes us unique. I agree with you, Alfonso. I also think that it's interesting to consider, and I'm going to open this up over on the Sirius XM show. So if you, our subscriber, you should be listening. I, I'm going to have this conversation. Gideon LLM strikes me as a player who says more about American soccer than some of those other dual internationals. And it doesn't mean I don't want Julian Green on my team. It doesn't mean I don't want Fabian Johnson on my team. Of course I do. If they're good enough and they're American, I want them in my team to help us win. They represent the country that they are, you know, they have adopted uh, culturally and have a, a direct tie to um, from their parentage. But Gideon played here and grew up here for a while and got coaching here. And I think that says something good about American soccer. I don't know if it's a, you know, it's not, we can hold up our hand or, you know, we can throw our hands up in the air and say, hooray for us. But it, it, I, I feel better about a player like Gideon being an American inter- international considering where he learned a lot of his soccer, if you know what I mean. I guess you're juxtaposing him to someone like Aaron Johansson. Sure. Who, uh, who has a tenuous tie to the United States. But, you know, just like you've said many times before, who are we to, to question anybody's sense of loyalty to their country? Uh, and maybe, you know, growing up as a first-generation American, you can have split loyalties. I mean, think about those Mexican-American kids that are, um, that are having that, that, you know, like Alvarado, that are having their, uh, their chance to choose right now. And it's, it is a little bit of a, uh, of a quandary within their family as to who they're going to play for. But I think that speaks, that's, that's more, I don't think it's a, a bad thing for the United States. I don't think it's a bad thing that for Jürgen Klinsmann to identify these kids. I don't think anyone should, should feel bad about having uh, Jermaine Jones or Aaron uh, Johansson. I think that's what makes the United States unique around the world. Sure. And uh, when we go up there, when they're holding their hands on their, over their hearts in the national anthem, you should be proud that we have people that are willing to play for us 
um, that are multicultural. I mean, how many other countries in the world do you do you see that? I I agree that it's the strength of the country. I'm sort of separating it. I'm completely on board with you, Alfonso. But what I'm saying, I'm sort of separating it from the notion of America becoming a better soccer country with what we do in terms of developing players and sort of how uh, how our how good our coaching is and all of those things that speak to longevity as a soccer nation. You can go out and find these kids who are born in Germany, raised in Germany, playing German systems, who want to become American internationals. And absolutely, you should, you should sign them up the second that, that they express any interest. But that doesn't necessarily feed into the notion of America as a soccer nation that's going to go on into the future and become a power on any in any sort of real way. So I think that they're, they're two different things. They're both positives in, in in what I'm, you know, one is a positive about the growth of soccer because Gideon learned a lot of his soccer here. And one's a positive about the multicultural uniqueness of, of America and the fact that we have these people who, again, have have spent very little time here and yet identify themselves as American. That's, that's a, that's a strength of ours. That's a, that the pull is strong still, even if we've got some issues in this country. Yeah, I mean, you think about the way the American soccer uh, system develops uh, players within the college system, within MLS now, within uh, uh, USL and NASL, but uh, those in academies and high schools and, and different um, uh, club teams of, for, for youth around the nation. It's very unique. I know you've talked about it before, where it's not centralized like in some uh, countries where they identify kids very young. You know, we have all this disparate love uh locations where kids can be identified and scouted in because of the ge geographics of our nation, it makes it very difficult. But you think about our heroes, um, our World Cup heroes, you know, you have Alexi Lawless, you have guys, John Harks, who played in a uh, college system and went on to do amazing things in the World Cup. But you guys, you also have guys like Ernie Stewart and Thomas Dooley that that represent that multicultural aspect yep. that took upon the yep. mantle of the United States. And yep. you, you, I think you can't have the excuse. I mean, just because you have a whole bunch of kids that grew up within the American soccer system in the geographic United States and they go on to represent your country, does that make it more valid? Any of their wins that's, or their success any more valid than if one or two of them question. or three of them or half of them were from another country? I think it doesn't matter at this point. Okay. I think it's, it's identifying, identifying the best people you have that are willing to represent. I I I'm with you. I I am. I mean, I have I have some sort of uh, elements of that that I mo that I think are worth talking about and discussing. But I I'm I'm with you for the most part. I appreciate the call, Alfonso. It's a very interesting discussion. Thanks a lot, man. No problem. All right, there goes Alfonso. Six four six eight three two three nine zero nine. Got a couple minutes to get in if you'd like to. We can talk about Gideon. We can talk about DC United taking down Orlando last night after falling behind a, by a goal. Uh, Chris Rolf, Chris Rolf is just on fire for DC. He's probably their most important player this season by far. Kofi Apare with the goal. Kofi Apare, who has stepped in due to injury at DC United, done an excellent job for them. A player that, uh, you know, had a, some hit and miss times at, at the LA Galaxy, never really got his shot, never really put it together there. And he, now he's a crucial player for a, for a real contender in MLS. Now that's, again, that's by, by injury. But it's still, you know, it's great when a player can step up and perform well when asked to, despite, despite maybe not being first choice uh, when the campaign begins. 646-832-3909. Just a, a reminder, over on the SiriusXM FC show today at 11 a.m. Eastern, we've got some good guests. Thomas Floyd from Goal will join us to talk about those D.C. United uh, those DC United elements, the success of DC United so far this year, best uh, starting league in team history. Excuse me, uh, Chris Rolf, Chris uh, uh, Kofi Opare, Philly coming up this weekend, which will uh, you know obviously be um, a game they expect to win. We'll talk to Kevin Kashwara. I'm going to go with Kashwara. If I get it wrong, he can tell me. He uh, is a uh, freelance soccer writer. Has worked for many many publications, including Howler. Uh, I've seen his work. Um, Oh man, in, in many places. He's got a piece over at SB Nation long form last week on Sydney, Sydney LaRue and her journey to the U.S. Women's National Team. We're going to talk to Kevin about the process of writing that story, some of the backlash that Sydney LaRue has faced from Canadians and Canadian soccer. It should be a fascinating discussion there. Uh, and we'll take a lot of your phone calls, obviously. It'll be a good day at uh, Sirius XMFC 
94. If you don't have a subscription, why? What are you doing? What's your problem? You should. You should be listening to that show. It's pretty good. 646-832-3909. Just closing this one out. Closing this one out, talking Champions League. <clears throat> talking um, Zellalem. Oh, here's a question. I don't have much time to get into this, but maybe we can do this tomorrow or on the serious show. Bob Bradley's tearing it up in Norway right now. Tearing it up. Second place. Sabek is in second place. And doing it without anywhere close to the budget of the biggest teams in the Norwegian League. He's getting a lot of love for the success he's having there, naturally. He's proven himself to be a good coach. And a couple of things come to mind with this situation with Bob Bradley. And number one, has your perception of Bob Bradley, the coach, changed since he left the United States national team in 2011 and gone on and done what he did in Egypt? No, he didn't get that team to the World Cup, but he got damn close and he did it without a domestic league running amidst incredible turmoil in Egypt, kept his head held high, was an, a, major, um, a major source of stability for a lot of people in that country, a guy who just stayed the course and did an amazing job with the Egyptian national team. Then he moves on. Now he's in Norway. He's having success in a European league. Okay, maybe it's not the best European league, but you got to get your foot in the door somewhere. He's doing it on a budget, at Stabæk, with a bunch of guys that either are um, leftovers, people didn't want them, cast-offs, or American players are in that team. He's, He's doing yeoman's work. And now the question for me is, If he had the opportunity to come back to MLS, would you want him to? Or is it important for American soccer that Bob Bradley continue to do what he does in Europe with the potential, no guarantees here, with the potential that he could move on from Norway, perhaps into a bigger league, a more high-profile league, certainly a more high-profile job. Some good stories, a good story I read recently, uh, some insight into him. I think it was over... I think it was over at SI. I apologize if I got this wrong. Something about him having to go and do some of his uh, his UEFA badge work in the middle of the season. So they have a week off. They have a couple of days off. He flies over somewhere else to, to take some classes and comes back. Because this is stuff that you have to do. This is a guy who's coaching the World Cup. And he's, he said some of it's like media training. It's fascinating to me. Want more of those stories. Bob Bradley doing great work. All right. You guys seem to be done. I, I'm certainly done for this show. We will shut it down and reopen hostilities. Not hostilities. Reopen the fun bag. Uh, I'm flailing here. Uh, we'll start over again at Sirius XM FC 94. Yeah, fun bag. That's the thing I'm starting. The, the fun bag uh, on Soccer Morning. Uh, hit us up at Soccer Morning on Twitter if you have questions or comments. Please go to 3NLFC.com to buy a t-shirt. It's You can see it. It's over there. It's blue. It's right there. Or go to uh, Backhill and go to Backhill.com slash store to buy yourself a soccer morning mug. Thank you very much to our guest, David Emoyal. Fantastic talking Italian soccer with him as always. All right, that's it. We'll talk to you guys in uh, less than an hour on Sirius XM. And if you don't do that, I'll talk to you tomorrow. Big Friday edition of the program. Thank you very much. See you then.